Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. We're going to talk today uh, a little bit uh, more about miracles, and that's the title of the series that we've been working through. And then within that series on miracles, we're also going to, we're taking like a mini-series within that about the idea of overcoming the enemy. We started that last week. If you want to get caught up, you can always go online and listen to the messages uh, or podcast them, and that's all good. So I'd like you to get your Bibles, if you would, open them to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. I put most of the verses I use up on the screen. I usually don't put the first verse that I use because I like us to get in the habit of continuing to bring our Bibles and be, I, I like people to check up on me to make sure I'm preaching the truth. So you get your Bibles there, make sure I'm reading the right stuff and, and uh, keep me on track, all right? Now, I talked about this last week, and I said, as I said last week, sometimes the mountain that we need to move, and this is kind of the subtitle, if you would, to miracles, move your mountain. Sometimes the mountain we need to move is the mountain of the enemy or something he's at work in in our life, some manifestation that he's at. And uh, so last week we talked about this idea of footholds and, or places that we have given to the enemy through sin. We, uh, we, we talked about how to get free from those footholds, and today I want to expand on our understanding of our foe. And uh, next week I'm going to bring more tools, if you will. I've got four major tools that we can use to stay clean or to get clean from the influence of the enemy in our lives. So uh, these three sermon, uh, sermons really go together. There's a saying from the treatise, The Art of War, which uh, you may have heard quoted before, but it, it's a simple statement, and you probably heard it quoted many times, is know your enemy, know your enemy. From a military perspective, it makes perfect sense that if you're going to go against an enemy, the more knowledge you have about what you're up against is going to help you. And, um, and it's so, so it's important to know their ways that they go about things or their capacities, and the better equipped we are with that kind of knowledge, we can attack in a better way. Jesus addressed this same kind of concept when he talked, and this will be on the screen, Luke 14, 31. It says, uh, or suppose a king is about to go to war. Do I have that verse? No? Luke? Okay, that's all right, Josh, thanks. Uh, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to uh, oppose the one who's coming against him with 20,000? And that's, that's just simple, straightforward wisdom, right? And so in this case, the king has spies or he has some knowledge that the, the other king has 20,000 troops and that, that he needs to really think that through before he uh, uh, does it, goes to war against him. So you have to know something about the enemy that you're fighting. But at the same time, you better know your own strengths. You got better know the weapons you have at your disposal. And so uh, obviously we can also become far too enamored with studying the enemy to the point that we don't know our own capabilities. We don't understand the weapons that are our, at our disposal. And those who focus too much on what we call spiritual warfare uh, um, are sometimes uh, inviting, I guess, uh, they're, they're misguided, if, you, if I could put it that way, because they go too much into too much depth, and they've lost the focus of the important thing about the cross and the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. We've got to preach the good news. That's what it's about. Jesus said in Luke 10, 20, Do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen? Are you, are you rejoicing today that your names are written in heaven? Are you thankful for that? Amen. So today we're going to look a bit at the enemy's plan so that we're aware of the strategies that he would use against us. And ultimately we're going to see that we have authority and power because we're in Christ. See, on our own we would have nothing. But because we're in Christ, we have power and authority over the enemy. 
This falls into the realm of miracles because we have no power on our own, but that power comes from the Lord. Make sense? So now we're going to go to our text. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety, anxiety, that's worries or cares or anxious thoughts, cast all of them on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We're going to talk about overcoming the enemy today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've invested uh, not only life in us, as we talked about earlier, through the cross and in believing in you, but also you have invested power in us and entrusted us with power so that even that wicked foe, the enemy, the devil, has uh, no authority over us, but we over him through you. We thank you for that, Lord, and we thank you for this in Jesus Christ's name. Everybody said amen. Amen. How many hunters do we have here today? How many people like to go hunting? Okay, a few. Um, I used to archery hunt. I, I stopped somewhere around 18 years ago or so. Trust me, the animals were completely safe with me in the woods. It was no issue. <laughs> Basically, I just like to walk in the woods with uh, camouflage on and makeup on my face. I was, you know, <laughs> camouflage makeup, right? The right kind of makeup. Anyway, so, uh, sorry. Anyway, uh, so one day I'm walking along um, uh, uh, the edge of a meadow, and uh, I love, it was very invigorating to just get out there early in the morning. I was walking along the edge of this meadow near the upper end of it, and there was a very large fir tree just standing uh, probably like 40 feet into the meadow on the north end of that, uh, on that meadow. And, um, and what was neat about this tree, unlike the rest of the forest, the, the, when the trees grow close together, the there's dead branches in the bottom. You can see through them. But this one, because it was out in the open of this meadow, came all the way to the bottom like a giant Christmas tree. It was really beautiful. And so I, I was kind of, uh, like I say, I was kind of going along the edge of this meadow. And when I got within about 40 feet, less than the distance, probably from me to Zach on the back row there, yeah, and uh, I'm walking along like this, being quiet, got my bow and arrow in my hand, you know, walking along. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear this sound like, I can't do a good growl, kind of a growly sound, like, like, low but kind of hissy at the same time now i'm going to tell you i'm out there and i'm freaking out right now you know what i'm saying i'm like uh oh and uh and it kind of you know it's amazing how many thoughts go through your mind in a moment like that i i i heard that sound and i froze i just was standing there and i was thinking oh what did i get myself into and um and uh, the, I, I, the first thought that went through my head with that sound was that I'd, I'd encountered a mountain lion that was hiding under the tree. And that made sense to me because I was only about a mile from a place they call Lion Rock that, that is up in, the, up in there, wherever that's called up there, the mountains. So, so anyway, I know a lot about hunting, by the way. Um, so... But anyway, so you can see why I might be concerned with that little thought going through my mind like that. So I backed away from that, that area, and I put quite a bit of distance between me and that area. And I, my curiosity was really stirred. I was wondering what was in that tree underneath that tree, uh, but, uh, but I was pretty sure elk don't growl, so I, I thought, no, I should probably get away. <laughs> so uh, on another occasion, and much in the same area some weeks later, I was hunting in the same area, and I was walking up this old logging road, and I, I came across, and I, uh, the wind was barely blowing in from the west, and, 
And uh, I, as I got a certain point in the road, I smelled an awful smell like a dead animal. And I thought, wow, I wonder what that's all about. And so sometimes, you know, you get bored hunting. You think, well, let's go exploring. Let's see what's going on. And so I, I turned toward the direction of the smell. And uh, I was down in a little uh, ravine kind of a thing, working my way up. And I got to the top, and there was a very large log, probably that big in circumference, on the ground. And and I got up behind it, and I'm coming uphill, and I, just as I crest over it, I look, and about 30 feet away, so even closer now, uh, there is a dead large elk on the ground and a big, the biggest black bear I've ever seen hovering over that. Again, many, many thoughts go through your mind in a moment like that, and it's amazing how much adrenaline begins to pour through you. The first thought I had was, uh, I've been told that black bears are docile, they're not very aggressive, unless you come between them and their cubs or between them and their food which led me to my second thought, which was the elk is food, right? The dead elk is food, and that's what he was doing there. He was eating. And then the third thought that went through my head very quickly is I have to be ready to defend myself somehow. And the fourth thought was is all I have are arrows, little stinky arrows, <laughs> and a hunting knife, which I took out of, my, <laughs> out of my sheath. And I sat down behind that log, and I held the, <laughs> I literally sat on the ground like this. I'm thinking, if that bear comes after me, I'm going to get one good shot. <laughs> so I'm sitting behind this log with the logs at my back now, and I'm just thinking, he'll come over the top of this log, and I'll just get him as quick as I can. That's, yeah, right. So <laughs> basically, you wouldn't have had a pastor is what I'm saying. But <clears throat> the sixth, <laughs> the sixth thought I had was that, uh, which should have been my first thought is I began to pray. <laughs> I should have thought of that first. But uh, so I, w I sat there for about 10 minutes. I waited. I didn't hear any noise. I, I decided to peek, take a peek. And when I looked up, all it was there was the elk. And thank God the, the bear ran off. And that was great. But so, so when we read in, in Peter just a moment ago that the devil is like a, roar, a roaring lion, um, we, I think we modern day people, we get kind of unfazed by that description. We don't think much of it. How many have been to the zoo and seen a lion before? You weren't really worried, were you? No, because there's either bars or some, some glass or something between you and the lion. You think, man, I could, be, I could be this close to a lion. No big deal, right? But take down that glass, right? Especially if he's hungry. So, so we think differently about these things. And, and though we've seen lions or bears on TV or we've seen them at zoos, from our point of view, they're not really a threat to us. So we don't have the perspective when we read a passage like this that we need to have about what, what Peter is trying to get across. Now, what we need to do is put on some first century robes, right, and some first century sandals and kind of get into their world where it is known that lions do attack people. In fact, you probably know people in your life who have been attacked and either mauled in some way or hurt, or even some maybe have died from, and there's, uh, the Bible is replete with stories of people that were killed by lions. And so, so in your mind, you hear our enemy is like a roaring lion. Immediately in your mind, you go, uh-oh, right? Like, I got perspective now because I understand what he's talking about. And so, so with that in mind, we consider this idea of the devil as a lion in more realistic terms. It's interesting when we look at the book of Job, there are two verses from the first two chapters of Job that, uh, that, that say the exact same thing. We'll just show it once up here. But it's in uh, Job 1.7 and 2.2. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, watch this, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. You get that idea right there, though it doesn't say lion, but you get that idea. This is what I've seen when I've seen a lion usually at the zoo if they're up. If they're not sleep, they sleep like 23 hours a day, I'm pretty sure. But when they're up, they're pacing back and forth, right? Roaming back and forth, to and fro. 
And this is what the enemy is describing in front of God and saying, this is what I've been doing. I've been working my way, right, back and forth across the earth, going back and forth on it. So Peter, again, is saying the devil prowls like a roaring lion. What is he looking for? He's looking for someone or some opportunity, someone to devour, someone to take out. So this prowling, roar or roaming enemy has this evil objective against human beings. We see it all the time. He has a three-pronged job description, Jesus says. He's come to steal and to kill and destroy. Wherever you see uh, something being stolen, whether it's peace or money or, or, or anything that's being taken away, whether you see someone being killed or there's some sort of death or you see something being destroyed, you know that the enemy is behind all that. That's what he's up to. And so we, we, we get hints of the enemy's description uh, going all the way back, if you will, to the book of Genesis in chapter 4. It says that now Abel kept the flocks. You're familiar with the story of Abel and Cain, right? And uh, Abel kept the flocks and Cain worked the soil. And so in the course of time, it says Cain brought some of the... I love... Uh, the description is important to read here. It says some of the fruits of the soil. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So there's this idea of giving the first thing to God as opposed to, yeah, just giving some of the stuff to God. And, uh, and, and, and so the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And we might be tempted to think, well, you know, Cain was at a disadvantage. He didn't know. No, apparently he knew what he was supposed to be doing and what he was supposed to bring. It wasn't the problem of necessarily bringing the the uh, grain, because there are grain offerings in the Bible, it's, a, it's the point that he didn't give God his first. He didn't give God his best. That's what really this is about. And, and, and so, so it, it goes on, it says, so Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. You know what a downcast face is, right? Just moping around. How many, you know what I'm saying? He's got a downcast face. And so he didn't bring what he was supposed to bring to God one way or the other, and then he allowed this anger to creep into his life, and as anger creeped into his life, it began to take a toll on him. And now his anger that was on the inside begins to transform his face, right? Have we seen this before in people? Maybe we've seen it in ourselves. So our, fa our faces can definitely reflect the condition of our souls. If we find that our faces are often downcast, we're looking sad or depressed all the time, people are, if people are constantly asking you, what's wrong, what's wrong, there's a chance that you're allowing some, some stuff that shouldn't be going on, on the inside to be portrayed on your face. I'm not saying once in a while we don't go through a bad time and need someone to encourage us, but if that's what's constantly happening, we need to watch out for it. So in verse 6, the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? The Lord is, uh, is addressing both of these issues. And he says, if you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? Just do the right thing. Do it. But watch what happens here. He says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is, what's that word? Crouching at your door. Desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So in this case, we see that sin, uh, we're, we're, we're not, you know, it's not saying the devil specifically, but sin has this uh, effect of being crouching at the door. But that brings to mind that lion that's ready to attack. And, and, and notice this, and I think there's this connection between sin and Satan in this, that he's crouching and waiting at the door. And, and so here's some real insight. You might want to write this down on how to keep the enemy from attacking. This is profound. Are you ready? Close the door. Amen. Might want to just plant that, you know, a little thought in the mind there. Listen, I don't watch horror movies. I never do. 
But sometimes I'll watch a suspenseful movie, and, and some bad guy is, is trying to get someone. They're chasing them. They're running, and they're running, and they're getting, trying to get away, and they run into some place that has a door, and they go to shut it. And don't you know, right, what, what always happens when they go to shut that door? They try to shut it, and there's either a foot or a hand or something comes through the door. It stops them from shutting the door. There's that moment where they're, where they're like, ah, and we're thinking in our minds as we see that, if they could have just shut the door, right? If they could have just shut the door. But here's the truth about you and me as, and the door to our souls, if you will. We have the power to, to, and the right, not only the power, but the right to keep that door closed. The devil can crouch out there all he wants, but we don't have to make a place for him. We don't have to, sometimes it's not his foot in the door, it's our own foot that's in the door. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? The problem is, it's that grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, and so we we fiddle around the pool of the, of, of the grass is greener, looking over the fence, trying to look out the door to see what's on the other side because, because well, we, we know we can, we're not supposed to do that over there, but we're like, I want to take a peek. We're the ones often that have our foot in the door, and by doing so, we're giving the devil an opportunity. He's crouching at the door. He's ready to come and attack, and we need to make sure we close the door. On the night before Jesus went to the cross as we celebrated that meal. He had that Passover meal with his disciples that included the bread and the cup. And, and as they, at one point they started to argue and they were going back and forth on which one was the greatest. What, a, what bad timing, right? Like, I'm sure as they thought back and as they considered the account later on and thought, why were we arguing? Didn't, Jesus was going to the cross the next day. He even told us and we didn't get it. But anyway, the they're, they're arguing who's the greatest. They're being clueless. And then in the middle of explaining how God's authority works and, and how his kingdom works, Jesus turns to Peter, and he doesn't call him Peter, which is the name he gave him. He calls him Simon, which is his old name. And I have to think that's because he was operating in the old ways of his life. He wasn't really getting how uh, he was supposed to be operating here. And so Jesus turns to him and really to all the disciples. And in Luke twenty two thirty one, it says, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift, and in some versions it just says you, but the, the new NIV has it right to say all of you because it's plural in the Greek. And so sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. The word sift in this is from, uh, it means to shake as grain in a sieve, to agitate, to prove by trials and afflictions. And, and so it's a metaphor to put you to the test. And the devil has an agenda. I talked about it earlier, his steal and kill and destroy. But the terminology here is different from that lion that's crouching he's, and prowling and roaming back and forth. But the intent is the same. It's, it's to bring the worst that he can into the life of each of God's children. He wants to shake up your life. He wants to agitate you. He wants to afflict you if he can get at you. And I'm telling you that Satan is still in that business to, that, to this day. He, listen, this is important to understand. He doesn't have the right to destroy God's children, so he tries to press us and disturb us and shake the life out of us if he can. And this is what he's been doing ever since the very beginning with, with human beings. He's crouching at the door. He's roaming back and forth. He's sifting like wheat. He's after Peter. He's after the rest of the disciples, and he's after you and me. Now, you know, I know we just celebrated Halloween. I'm not talking about a guy with a pitchfork and red leotards on and a goatee. You understand? I'm quite sure if we actually saw the devil, he would be much more grotesque and much more 
evil looking than, than some caricature that we would make up about him. He's a real being, and I, I don't even like talking about him, but like I said at the beginning of this message, if we don't understand his ways, if we don't understand how to go to war, then we can end up on the bad side of things. We've got to be careful. So in the, in the case of Cain, the devil had gotten a foothold in the door because Cain you had disobedience and anger in his life. Are you seeing that? Okay. And in the case of Peter, the devil gets a, a foothold in his door because he's filled with pride, thinking, who's the greatest among us? It's certainly got to be me. And so we see that in general, and I'm not listing all the sins, obviously, but, but sin in general is something we do that opens the door to the enemy's attacks. And so, so the first thing we do is close the door and stop sinning. Now, that may seem like a tall order, because I've never stopped sinning. I mean, I'm being real. I, I still make mistakes. I still do things that I'm, afterwards I go, I can't believe I did that, right? But as a believer now, I know that my sins are forgiven, even though I commit them. But the problem is I'm still giving access to the enemy by opening up my life to these kinds of things. Is that making sense? Do you remember the man at the pool of Bethesda? He, he was... Uh, he was uh, an invalid for 38 years. Jesus came to the pool. He asked the man about it, and uh, he, he ends up healing this man. Uh, he rises up. He couldn't walk before, and now he's walking. And a little bit later, Jesus catches up with him, and he says this in John 5.14. He says, see, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about not being able to walk and being stuck on a little mat by a pool for 38 years, I'm trying to think, what on earth could be worse than that? But Jesus is making a case that there is something worse than that, and he is saying that allowing the enemy to gain access to our souls through sin is worse than being an invalid for 38 years. Now, that's how deeply we have to think about what we're facing today when we open up areas of our lives to the enemy. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, I love this, he says, we are not unaware of his schemes, referring to the devil. We know what he's up to. That whole passage, that same uh, verse, I just read a little part there, but from the Message Bible, different wording, but get a little bit better idea maybe of what it says. He says, after all, we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We are not oblivious to his sly ways. We know. How many football fans, I know you're probably afraid to admit it, but... It's okay, right? Okay, yeah, it's okay. We can talk about that. So, so we're football fans, and you ever, you ever notice when you're watching on TV, you ever notice the coaches, and uh, when they're getting ready to talk to the other coaches up in the booth, they'll do one of two things. They either put their hand like this, or they'll put their, a card or something up in front of their mouths. You ever wondered why they do that? You may know. It's simply because in the past, people have used binoculars, and really good lip readers could figure out what they were saying, and they could transmit it down to the other team and give, give the plan to them. And so, so they, they, they cover up for that, and so they don't want the others to know what their plan is. When it comes to Satan, because of God's word, we can read his lips, so to speak. We know what he's up to. We know his schemes. We know his devices. We know his ways. And, and this is, I think, one of the most amazing things about the Bible is that the Bible, you know, um, if I had been thinking about writing a Bible, uh, just making one up, I would have only put the good stuff in it. The, the, the hero stories and the victory stuff. But isn't the Bible just filled with all kinds of just regular people doing stupid things? Like, like just look, people like us, you know what I'm saying? They just are just, just crazy. Like, what are you thinking, David? What are you, you know, you got everything. Why are you looking at that girl down on that roof? What is wrong with you? 
you know? Or, or you think about Moses. He's like, he's done so well for so long, and then he just threw it in a fit of rage one day. He just blows it, loses it. A guy like Samson, I mean, he was kind of a doofus to begin with, but the fact is, at one point, he, he just... He just, for the sake of being with a woman, he will, he'll give away the secret of his strength and lose everything. Right. And, you, and it's just, the Bible is just straight up. It just tells us the story of people's lives. And it says, here's the good, the bad, and the ugly right there. But I love that because here's what it does. It opens our minds and our eyes to what the devil does, what he's done to other people. We can read the story of David looking at Bathsheba thinking she's a hot mama. And, and then, we, then we understand, uh-oh. That's how the devil works. See what David lost because of that? You see what he lost? He lost his son with Bathsheba. He lost his kingdom for a while to his son Absalom. And then the ter- the eventually the kingdom was torn apart because of that. And, and so you go, wow, the cost is high. Let's stop and let's shut the door on those things. Amen? Let's shut the door on those sins. And I love the fact that the Bible has the answer to all of this for us in Jesus' name. All right, worship team, come on back up. So here's what I think is going on sometimes. I think that in life, and I include myself in this at times in different ways, but some, sometimes we wander around the edges of the meadow of some area of sin, if you can kind of go with my analogy for a moment, that, that we're kind of like, we're wandering close to danger. And because rather, rather than understanding how much trouble we could get in, we allow our curiosity to propel us closer to danger rather than further away from it. Like if I knew for sure there was a mountain lion under that tree, it's a very easy decision, isn't it? But, but that, I, I remember thinking in the back of my mind, well, what if it was something else? Well, I would like to know what that is. I'm very curious what's under that tree. And that's sometimes what happens. We get drawn in by these things. You know, we, we might not quite be getting drunk, but we're getting a little tipsy, right? So the Bible says, don't, don't get drunk. So, so, but we're just, we're just hanging out at the edge of that meadow. We not, may not be cheating on our spouse, but we're, we're entertaining thoughts in our minds about what would that be like. Or we may not be outright lying, but we're, we're bending the truth when it comes, or we're fibbing in some ways when we think it would be to our advantage to do so. We may not directly be looking at porn online, but we, but we might look at pictures of, of women with sw- swimwear on. I'm speaking to the men right now, and I, I understand that there's an opposite and equal problem almost in, among women these days. We, we may not be stealing, but we, we wouldn't want anybody looking with too fine a tooth comb over our taxes. And so as we wander along like this, we, we hear just this low growl. But we're not unaware of the schemes of the devil. We know what he's up to. And instead of turning our back to, to that curiosity or to that thing that we're drawn toward, because we're all drawn by the flesh, but, but instead of that, we, we get to a place where we, and we would understand that the, that's the devil there, it's that roaring lion, he's crouching at the door, he wants to sift us like wheat. So Paul comes along and he's learned in his lifetime how to resist the devil. And Timothy, he writes these words, he says, but the Lord... I love this. Come on. This is, what, this is what I really want you to get today. He says, The Lord stood at my side, and He gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles, that's all the people in the rest of the world besides Jews, might hear it. And He says, and listen to this, And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. I promise you He's not talking about a physical lion. He is talking about the enemy. He's talking about the enemy right there. 
And then he goes on and he says this, and this is true of you today too. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. He'll set you free. He'll rescue you right out of it. And he'll bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. So we may find ourselves being attacked by that lion from time to time. But remember, the Lord will rescue us. He will set us free from every evil attack and bring us to his kingdom. So let me finish by saying and reminding us that this talk about mountain moving, again, having faith for miracles, sometimes the miracle you need to be moved in your life is this area where the enemy seems to have an advantage. And I'm trying to encourage us by getting a bit of his strategy to understand that we don't have to stand for that. We don't have to put up with that kind of stuff and that we indeed have authority over the enemy. You wonder, can he really devour us? He's seeking for someone he can't devour. I'll tell you that if you're in Christ, he cannot devour you unless you're the one who's opening the door to him to do so. But in Christ, we stand firm. We do not have to worry that the enemy can devour us. I'm not saying he won't tempt us. I'm not saying he won't try to attack us from time to time. And Peter's advice then is, is to resist the devil, standing firm in the faith. Standing firm. Let's stand together and stand in our faith today. So who's doing the resisting? When, when Peter says, resist him standing firm in the faith, who's doing the resisting? We are. Who's standing firm? We are. Do we have power on our own to combat the devil? Of course not. But with Christ, do we have all authority that we need? And didn't Jesus also say in Luke 10, 19, that I've given you, you, authority to what? Trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. Stand firm. Resist the enemy. It is God's power, but he works through you and me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for speaking to us and, and through us today. God, I thank you that there is no attack of the enemy that is powerful enough to overcome anything of your power, that you are infinitely powerful and infinitely great. And Lord, we know that, that by example through the scripture and in our own lives, that when we have given places to the devil, when we've left that foot of our own in the door, let alone his foot getting in there, but when we've allowed ourselves to be open to those possibilities of sin in our lives, that we have paid a price for that. So God, we're here to repent first and foremost. In fact, if you're aware of any sin in your life today, would you just talk to God right now where you're at. You can talk while I'm praying too, but just say, God, forgive me for the sin I've committed. I want to close that door. I don't want to allow any access to my life. I don't want the one who's prowling around and roaming to and fro to get an advantage in my life. God, help me. That, make, us, make that your prayer today. Oh God, we come to you. We cry out to you. We ask you for just the help that we need to stand firm in our faith. And God, we thank you that we have authority over all the works of the enemy, just as you said. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.